Hi, welcome to Cochrane Alliance Church and our online sermons. We are so glad you are able to join us. We pray that this sermon will be a blessing and an encouragement to you this week. Um, let's pray this morning for the service, for the, for the message. Heavenly Father, uh, we are grateful that you are a good Father, that you love us so very much that you sent your one and only Son. And Lord Jesus, we turn our attention, our gaze to you this morning and we are so grateful for what you have done. You are so grateful that uh, in the power of the Spirit, we have been raised to newness of life with you. And I pray as we read your words today, that your Holy Spirit at work within us would allow these words to resonate deep within our souls and within our minds. I pray that whatever it is that you have planned for us to hear today, we would hear it. Uh, that if there's any obstacle to us hearing what you have prepared for us, that you would remove it in this place that we'd be aware that gathered together, we are a temple, a dwelling place of the Lord Most High. Your spirit resides amongst us. And let us receive from you today all that you have planned for us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. There was an article I was reading this week as I was preparing the message, and it's an article I'd read a, a while ago. It's called Persistence, a Forgotten Leadership Trait. And the author of this paper, Persistence, the Forgotten Leadership Trait, uh, made a case that to be successful in life, persistence is a very valuable trait that is often overlooked in today's society. Now, persistence is that ability to keep pursuing your goals in the midst of setbacks and obstacles. Persistence means you keep, you keep pushing forward even when it seems like you're not getting anywhere. And the author of the article is making the case that in our society, persistence is being overlooked as an essential character trait. Because our culture tend to celebrate people who look like overnight successes. That's sort of what we go to. We, we tend to, what we overlook is that very, very few people are actually overnight successes. Even people who seem to come out of nowhere and, and achieve some level of fame or fortune or uh, business sense... Even though it looks like an overnight success, most often if you dig into their backstory, you'll find persistence was the key to their success. They just kept moving forward. They had a goal, and despite setbacks and obstacles, they just kept moving towards that goal. And that's why I'm so pleased when I see that trait of persistence in my children. When my kids persist in spite of difficulty or obstacles, I'm, I'm so happy because I know that persistence is a character trait that can set them up well for life. I think it was last year I was talking about my son Ryan and how proud I was of my son because we were at uh, Elbow River and uh, he tried multiple times to cross Elbow River and it's cold and it was fast moving and the rocks are slippery and wet, but he persisted. He said, I am going to cross this river. He'd get like halfway across and then turn back. And then and I'm like, we're halfway. You might as well just keep going all the way, but whatever, you know, that's so eventually he finally made it. Persistence paid off, he made it to the other side of the river. This year, in October, because it was a beautiful fall, I got to watch both Ryan and then my daughter Ava push through the difficulty to cross the river, because Ava this year was determined, if Ryan can do it, I can do it. And so both of them pushed through and crossed the Elbow River, and the other thing that was interesting is Ryan decided it's not good enough for just me and Ava to be across the river, we've got to get Connor across the river, and Connor's five years old, and that water's like up to his waist, I'm like, that's not good. Uh, but Ryan carried him on his back, he finally dropped him on that log there, but he had him on his back, you know, crossing this super cold, you know, it doesn't even look that wide, but it's so cold. You know, your feet are frozen by the time you get to the middle and the current is stronger than it looks, but he got him to that log and that was good. 
And I just love seeing my kids show persistence, to, to push through in spite of difficulty. And I think we can see how persistence pays off in life. You have a goal, you pursue it no matter what, and that usually pays off in some way. And so persistence is that admirable quality to have in life. What I've found for myself, and maybe you find this true of you, but for myself, I find it somewhat easy to be persistent in pursuing life goals, but I find it difficult to apply that same level of persistence to my spiritual life and prayer in particular. I think when it comes to prayer, I can identify with what Eugene Peterson wrote when he said, anyone who has made a practice of prayer knows the feeling, overwhelming sometimes, that prayer is a leaky bucket. You go to the river to get a pail of water, and by the time you get home, the bucket is empty, and all that is left to show for your effort is a damp trail of water soon to be wiped out by the sun. And so this idea that, you know, eventually it just feels tiresome or it feels burdensome, you kind of lose the passion for it, and persistence wanes. And that's not to say my prayer life is always like that, But here's what I've found. I think we are so used to having immediate answers in our culture. It's actually something that terrifies me, this this ability in our culture to have instant access to anything we want. I remember I was telling my kids, like, hey, when I grew up, kids, I had three television stations. Uh, They played Inspector Gadget and the Flintstones, and they only paid for the first season of it. So every day after school, I got kind of the same eight episodes, right, kind of rotated through. And my kids nowadays have instant access to anything they want. You turn on Netflix, there are hundreds of TV shows every season, and I go, I don't know if it's good for us to have instant access to whatever we want. Even me, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to see that movie. Oh, I can just buy it right now. I kind of want to have this thing. I can order Skip the Dishes. It'll come to my house in 20 minutes. And so because we're so used to immediate answers, I think we've actually developed this inability to wait on God. We have a hard time asking for the same things more than a few times. And because we're so used to immediate answers, we easily begin to feel that if we don't have an immediate answer to prayer, that God isn't hearing us. Or we start to think, perhaps this prayer is not having any effect. God is not listening to me. Which is why I think our scripture passage today, as we kind of cap off our series on Lord, teach us to pray, we've gone through the Lord's Prayer. And now I want to end our series on talking about persistence in prayer. We're looking at a lesson that Jesus teaches us about prayer, using the parable about a widow and an unjust judge. The parable is all about being persistent in prayer. It's in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Normally I'd read from my Bible, but I have my wrong version here. I decided to use the New Living Translation because I really like how it reads, so I'm just going to read it uh, for us. You can join with me. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer to show them they must never give up. And this is the story he used to illustrate his point. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who was a godless man with contempt for everyone. A widow of that city came up to him repeatedly, appealing for justice against someone who had harmed her. The judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she wore him out. I fear neither God nor man, he said to himself, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this evil judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who plead with him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when I, the son of man, return, how many will I find who have faith? There's a lot we could do with this parable. I want to talk about the the prayer aspect of this. And like with all parables, we should get to know the characters that Jesus is introducing us to first. So notice that Jesus is putting two very, very different people uh, together here. The judge is in power. He is a powerful man. And the widow is powerless in this situation. 
And in that day, the judge would have obviously been in a position of great authority, while the widow is in a very humble position. Now, she's a widow, and it, it seems as though she has no family to look after her. Uh, without a family to look after her, without a husband to protect her, she could be very legally vulnerable. Now, in that culture at this day and age, it was becoming more common for women to own property and be able to manage the household of husbands who had passed away. But if there was someone who opposed the widow, and she says, I have an enemy, there's someone who has harmed me. If there was someone who opposed the widow, it would still be hard in the eyes of that culture for a, and in their legal system for a woman to be fairly heard because there was still the idea in the culture of that day of a woman not really counting in the assembly of men, of a woman being lesser than a man. So if people wanted to take advantage of widows, it was very easy to do so. So this meant that even retaining her husband's possessions as an inheritance could be complicated. And so many widows, as a result, could be taken advantage of. They could be ripped off. They were not given true justice in the legal system. And that's why Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, has a lot to say about God's love for widows, how God's people are to love and care for widows, women whose husbands have have died, right? And in the book of James, it tells us that true religion is this, caring for the widows and the orphans in their time of need. And so what we see in this parable as a woman is a, a tragic tale of a widow who's been deeply wronged. And we, we aren't totally sure what exactly has gone on. Jesus doesn't tell us. We don't know if she was beaten up or if she was robbed, if she was abused, if she was taken advantage of. Maybe her husband's assets are being tied up in court by this enemy of hers who's laying a claim to them. We don't know the whole story. What we do know is that she wants justice. She says she has an enemy who is against her, someone who has harmed her. But this judge, of course, well, he does whatever he wants. He fears no man. He has no fear of God. And the way the court system worked in that day made it very easy for a corrupt judge to render verdicts based on bribe money. So most likely when Jesus says this judge fears neither God nor man, he's saying the judge is very corrupt. Dr. Kenneth Bailey had made the observation that in a lot of societies around the world, it's actually assumed that a judge will make a verdict based on who has the best bribe. And that's probably what the widow is dealing with here. She doesn't have the money to come up with the best bribe to the corrupt judge, and so he's rendering verdicts based on who has the best bribe. Most people in the widow's situation would kind of come to this realization. The whole system is against me. My voice is not being heard. The judge is corrupt, and there's nothing I can do about it. And you might as well just give up trying to get justice from an unjust judge and prepare for the next step of your life but not this widow. She badgers this judge, and you've got to imagine that she's not just like coming into court and pestering him. These are smaller communities, right? So I imagine that she is following the judge home. Give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. Banging on his door, talking to his wife. Do you know what your husband does? Do you know that he doesn't give me justice? Following him into the marketplace. Give me justice. And announcing it to the people. Look at this judge who will not give me justice. She's badgering him, not just in the court. She's always around. She's constantly in his face demanding he do the right thing. The judge says in my New Living Translation, this woman is driving me crazy, Uh, and she is, but a literal Greek translation is that word hypopiazo, which means she is hitting me in my eye, and kind of what you can get from this is she's giving me a black eye verbally. She's beating him up, relentless. It's persistent. She's driving him crazy. She's giving him a black eye. So what's the point of this story? 
Luke tells us from the very beginning, it's about not giving up in prayer. Keep persisting like this this widow who demands justice. If we don't explore the text, though, I think we might come to some wrong conclusions. I think some people, after hearing this parable, they think what Jesus is saying is that God is like the unjust judge, and if we just annoy God enough, he'll eventually give in to our demands. Like, oh my goodness, is that person again? Okay, 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 I'll finally give you what you want. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually saying, as we get to the end of the parable, that God is not at all like an unjust judge. Jesus says, if even this unjust judge gave a good verdict, and I'm going to kind of put my own uh, spin on this, you can trust that God, who is good and just and loving, will be quick to give justice to his children who plead with him. Now, all of us know, if you've been any type of person of prayer, you'll know that God often does not seem to answer our prayers as quickly as we would like. Of course, sometimes he does. I told stories in our um, sermon on kingdom prayers about some instant healing prayers that were answered. I mean, in the moment. Someone asking, you know, I have this debilitating pain in my back. I can't pick up my kids. Would you pray for me? And instantly her back is made well. So we do know that God can do that. But often, it seems we need to keep coming to God in prayer for the same things Clearly, God values persistence in prayer, and so my next question is, why? Why does God value persistence in prayer? Well, one of the reasons is probably to help us define uh, what it is that we are truly desiring and passionate about. As one author puts it, my kids have asked me for many things over the years. You name it, they've asked for it. I ignore them most of the time because I know how quickly their enthusiasm fades. My ears perk up, however, when they persist for a long period of time because persistence in asking for the same thing usually means they're serious about something. I know exactly how that goes. If you take my kids to Walmart, they'll want to buy the entire store. Uh, and, but we've, we've, me and Lori have talked about this, uh, and my kids aren't in the service today, so it's great. Um, <laughs> the last few Christmases, like, okay, so this last Christmas... We got them amazing gifts that they deeply desired. They loved them. Uh, they don't play with them. They're just, not, they're just sitting around. They don't even know where half of those, those gifts are. And so there's something about, um, but when my kids become really persistent about something, when they go, this is something I deeply desire, this is something I need, like Ava and an art book or something like that, uh, then I go, okay, this is something that they've thought about, they're thinking about it, it's on their mind, uh, and they're so grateful when they receive it. Now, unlike a human parent, God knows my true motives, the true desires of my heart from the moment of my original request, so our God and our Father in heaven does not need us to repeat ourselves to know that we are sincere in our request, but God still seems to desire persistence in prayer, and so I can tell you this. The more times I come in prayer for something, the more I really do begin to desire it. Persistent prayer changes me. Now, I want to make a quick note here. This is not to say that prayer only changes us. I've heard some Christians make this claim, that the only thing prayer really does is change us, because God already has his plans in motion, and no amount of praying on our part will change a thing. I really Have you ever heard that? I've heard that. I really question that because when I read about the people who pray in Scripture, I don't see that at all. I do not see anyone in Scripture going, well, we know this prayer won't actually change anything. It's just going to change us. Do you see anyone in Scripture praying that way? I don't. 
Can you imagine the early church in Acts chapter 4 going, oh Lord, stretch out your hand with healing power. Let signs and wonders be made manifest across the, the world as we proclaim your name, except we know you won't actually do that, so just change us. That's not how people pray. So, you know, if you have ever heard people claim that prayer is only a method of changing us, I would really reconsider the truth of that. That's only partially true. Prayer does indeed change us. But it is undeniable that prayer somehow, we could even say mysteriously, allows us to partner with God's work and will being done here on earth. That's part of that kingdom come prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But certainly I will say this, the more that we pray for something, the more our hearts and minds do shift. And I'll give you an example of this. Years ago, my, uh, my best friend and his wife um, were trying to have children. And they had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And it was heartbreaking. And they just wanted a child. And so I committed to pray for them. And so every single night, and, and this was sort of my trigger, um, I would put my arm under the pillow where Lori was, and for some reason, that was like my reminder. Pray for, pray for my friend. I don't know what that was. And, uh, but that was like my, so every night, at basically around the same time, I would pray uh, for my friend that they would have children, that, that they would be blessed with a child. And uh, I prayed that, I think it was about seven months, every night. I, I, think, I don't think I missed a night. And as I prayed that prayer, I began to deeply desire that for them. Like, I'd always wanted them to. I desired it for them. I felt bad for them. But suddenly something shifted in me where I said, Lord, you have to. This is the deepest desire right now of my heart. Something shifted in me. And I actually began to just pray. It strengthened my convictions. It made me more attentive to my prayer life. And it allowed me to glorify God all the more when that prayer was answered. And sometimes I look at their oldest daughter now. They have four kids. But I look at their oldest daughter now and I'm like, I don't know if she knows how many people prayed for her. Like, you are one of the most prayed-for children that I know of. And I remember when my friend phoned me, it's about seven months later, and when I saw his name on my call display, I was like, I know that she's pregnant. I know it. So something about that changed me. Philip Yancey puts it like this. He says, God views my persistence as a sign of genuine desire for change, the one prerequisite for spiritual growth. When I really want something, I strive and persist. And we can all tell of things that we persisted on in life. My kids crossing a river. I remember maybe my most persistent day was when my TELUS internet wasn't working for weeks at a time. And so I phoned TELUS 18 times in one day. Um, demanding satisfaction. And I was riding the C train uh, the next day and I saw one single guy outside the TELUS building holding a sign saying, TELUS sucks. And I was like, yeah, I am with that guy. Like, I, I was like, I want to join him because I'm so mad. But that's pretty persistent. I mean, eight, I spent my whole day phoning TELUS and every single time I phoned them, they say, uh, did you turn your computer on and off? I'm like, I have already done that 12 times. I'm not doing it again. Give me some new information. That's pretty persistent. But I thought... Do I show the same persistence in prayer? Do I show that same spirit in prayer? And although I struggle with persistence, I will say this, on those times when I have persisted in prayer for for one particular person or one particular request, I have found that it actually ignites a fire in me. My prayer life becomes more vibrant. I pray more often. I pray with more passion. Persistence in prayer changes our spiritual life and our spiritual habits. But I want to acknowledge this fact. Sometimes persistence in prayer wears us down. 
Sometimes when we pray for the same thing over and over again and it seems to have no response, it makes us feel that God is not hearing us or that he is far too slow to answer. But Eugene Peterson makes this point. I think this is important for us. He says, God's silence in the face of our prayers is not due to some inadequacy on our part, some technical glitch in the way we pray that would be fixed if we just find the right prayer manual. God's seeming silence is a common and repeated experience amongst all who pray. People who pray are deeply experienced in God's silence. I know maybe for some of you that's not what you want to hear. But I think there's truth in that. I've seen God do immediate and miraculous things in response to prayer. But most often, most often, I've seen us need to persist. I've seen it take months or years. I remember um, Lori's aunt had struggled with health issues for a long time, just kind of chronic pain, fibromyalgia, all these things. And uh, she's been prayed for hundreds of times over the years. And finally, just a few years ago, this is last year, one more time, people said, can we just pray for you again? I don't even know how many hundreds of times she's received prayer for healing. And this time, and this time it happened. She felt, she's not 100%, but she's so much better than she was. Why did it take years? Why did it take hundreds of people praying? Hundreds of times? I don't know. But there's this call in scripture to persistence. Persist. Don't give up. And it's okay in those times when God seems silent, silent to wonder. Where is God in this? Look at the Psalms. I'm just going to give you a few. I forgot to put the uh, references. So you'll have to snap a picture and Google it. But why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? Has his steadfast love ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? The psalmist dare to ask God things that perhaps we think are inappropriate to ask. They're not. These are the honest cries of the heart. And can I tell you something about these types of prayer? These are honest prayers, and they're still prayer. It's still prayer. Oh God, where are you? Why haven't you come through on this? So it's okay in your prayer, in, as you persist in your prayer, to also question God, to ask why, to ask how long. As Peterson puts it, people who pray know what it is like to hear nothing in response. People who pray don't get what they ask for when they ask for it. People who pray ask how long and why a lot. But we notice that the psalmists and the people of prayer, they keep praying. Like the persistent widow, they do not lose heart. Why do we persist in prayer? Because we know who God is and what he is like. God is good. God is love. God delights in giving good things to those who love him. He is a good father. We have experienced this. And so we pray. If I could just refer you to the psalmist again, they sometimes start with, where are you, Lord? Are you angry with me? Why are you silent? But then they go, but I remember when you did. I remember when you said. I remember your faithfulness in the past. And so, 
although I question how long and I question why, I believe in your goodness and I will keep coming to you. And so although we may ask how long and we might ask why, we do not lose heart. And it would be possible to simply read the story of the widow and come out with the impression that it's just a command to stick it out no matter what. And it would actually be easy for me to stand here and say, well, all this parable is about is about how we should never give up in prayer and here's 10 examples of people who didn't give up and their prayers were answered in 10, 20, 30, or 50 years. But there's more happening here than just don't give up. And that's what I want to get across today. That persistent prayer is somehow formative to us. It's not just about beating our heads against the wall until something breaks, either the wall or our head. Persistent prayer is part of spiritual growth and it's part of maturity in faith. A fourth century monk put it like this, and I put it into updated language. Often when I have prayed, I have asked for what I thought was good and persisted in my petition, foolishly demanding the will of God and not leaving it to him to arrange things as he knows best for me. He says, do not be distressed if you do not receive at once from God what you ask. He wishes to give you something better, to make you persevere in your prayer, for what is better than to enjoy the love of God and to be in communion with him. This is a hard truth sometimes to accept. I've walked with Christians who have loved ones dying of some kind of illness, and they pray for God to spare their loved one. They pray for healing. Sometimes that healing doesn't come. But what they would tell you, and I would say every one of them would tell you, in those times of prayer, I began to receive from the Lord what I needed to go through this next step. I began to hear from the Lord what the answer was before I was even ready to accept it. And it was my constant prayer that shaped my heart to receive what God was doing. So persistence in prayer brings us to the Lord over and over again. And what could be more heart-changing and soul-shaping than continuously coming to the Lord in prayer? Like I said, I've found that persisting in prayer has ignited my prayer life more than it has extinguished it. And I think the key to that is being honest, like the psalmists. Why? How long? What's wrong with me? Just be honest in those prayers. Persisting also means that there's a time of waiting. And this idea of waiting upon the Lord is prevalent in Scripture, right? The most famous passage, probably Isaiah 40, where we read, Those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. Or Lamentations 3, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Psalm 37, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. The entirety of Scripture actually shows us that in the life of faith and in the life of prayer, we wait upon the Lord. God's whole plan of salvation is so mysterious to me because you see that uh, immediately after Adam and Eve are, have to leave the Garden of Eden, God says, here's the plan of salvation. The plan is already in motion. And yet we're 4,000 years before Jesus is born. And if we look at any of the heroes of the faith, we see waiting upon the Lord as a major part of their experience. I think of Abraham and Sarah. How long did Abraham and Sarah await for the promise of their son Isaac to be born. God first revealed to Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations when he called him to leave his country and go to the land God would show him. Abraham was 75 years old at that point. 15 years later, when Abraham was 90, God renewed his promise, but there were still no children. 
Ten years later, at the age of 100, Abraham and Sarah finally had their son. That's a total of 25 years before God's promise came about. Think of Joseph, who's shown in a dream that he's one day going to be a ruler. As a child, he knows, I'm going to be a ruler. God has shown it to me. But before that happens, he's sold into slavery, works as a slave, accused of a crime he didn't commit and thrown into prison, forgotten in prison. And it takes years before Joseph sees God's promise come to fulfillment. The whole entirety of the Old Testament seems about waiting upon the promises of the Lord. The Israelites wait for liberation from Egypt. The prophets wait for the coming of the Messiah. Faithful men and women wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. And in our culture, waiting around seems like wasting time. But times of waiting on the Lord are not wasted times. They are times of formation and spiritual transformation. And maybe Moses is another example of that. He flees out of Egypt and he runs into the wilderness and he's there for years before the Lord says, now you're ready to lead my people. And so that's part of this persistent prayer, this times of waiting, is there's something happening internally. Now I never like to sugarcoat things and I don't want to say something is easy when it isn't. And persisting in prayer and waiting upon the Lord is not easy. It can be difficult, it can feel lonely, it can be frustrating. Again, look at those psalmists. How long, O Lord, But there's no doubt that persistent prayer is beneficial for spiritual growth. Philip Yancey tells the story of a friend of his who was an alcoholic. And his friend of his expressed frustration that although he prayed every day that God would remove the desire to drink from him, he found every morning his first thoughts were turning to whiskey. And he asked, does God even listen to my prayer? Later it occurred to him the desire for alcohol was the main reason he prayed so diligently. And as he prayed for himself, he then prayed for other things. And it was this constant temptation and desire he had that actually drove him to the Lord in prayer. Persistent temptation compelled persistent prayer. That might sound strange to some of you and for other people that makes perfect sense. But there's something very important about coming to the Lord and saying, I can't do this without you. I can't conquer this alone. And having to do this daily or weekly or monthly creates in us humility and a strong knowledge that Christ alone is our strength. If God has given you, blessed you with strong natural ability, It's easy for you to do without prayer because you feel like you know how to do it and you do it well. And so actually one of the things I'm most thankful for is that I usually feel incompetent in most things because it keeps me coming to the Lord in prayer. Even when it comes to preaching, I feel like I cannot do this without depending on God. And almost every week as I prepare a sermon, I hit a wall where I feel overwhelmed and I go, Lord, what am I going to say? What do you want me to say? And that's, of course, right where the Lord wants me because then I have to trust him for the message. Prayers for the message I deliver on Sunday are some of my most persistent prayers. So here's my encouragement to you. If you've been praying for something and it seems like God is not doing anything but that burden to pray remains, please take this message as confirmation that you should persist and not give up. And if you have given up on a prayer but you didn't actually feel that burden ease, you just got frustrated or you got tired of saying the same things over and over again, but you didn't feel uh, the Lord release you from the burden of that prayer, start praying again. This week I read again the story of George Mueller of Bristol, whose life is such a powerful testimony to the virtue of persistence in prayer. Near the end of his life, he confided to a close friend of his that he had been praying for two men to come to faith in Christ for over 50 years. A friend wondered, why did you continue to pray over that long period of time? Mueller replied that if God had given him such a burden for these men, surely it was because he intended to save those two men. It came to pass that one of those men came to Christ shortly before Mueller died, and the other came to faith in Christ shortly after Mueller's death. I still want to acknowledge 
that sometimes from our perspective, God seems to be like that unjust judge, especially when we cry out to God for loved ones and the heavens seem silent. When sickness, tragedy, hardship, it drags on without any clear answer, even the most righteous of people will experience periods of time where God seems far away and uncaring. There isn't any way around this reality. We shouldn't deny it or pretend it isn't there. C.S. Lewis wrote one of the most profound insights on grief and faith and prayer in his book, A Grief Observed, as he journeyed through the death of his wife, Joy. And he writes this, When you are happy, so happy you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed by him with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate. When all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. And that's what he felt. He said, when I prayed for my wife, Joy, I felt nothing. I felt silence. And so the question for us becomes, what will we do when it seems to us that God is like the unjust judge? When it seems there is silence in the face of our desperation, will we give up? Or will we continue to pray? And this parable makes no sense unless we understand that God is our Father who loves us and knows us best. Remember the promise of Romans 8.28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so it occurs to me that there's a few lies that we might need to reject when we have to persist in prayer. And I just want to run you through these really quick. The lies are this. Number one, God is an uncaring judge. If we think God is like the uncaring judge, then we will get angry and we will stop praying because we must convince him of the worthiness of our cause. And if we think we must uh, convince God to hear our case or must do things to impress him, we'll become performance-based Christians. So that's the second lie, convincing him of the worthiness of our cause. And the third one is that our faith or our persistence is the source of power. If we think our persistence convinces God to do something he wouldn't otherwise do, then we'll end up thinking our prayers are more powerful than God himself. But if we believe that God is our Father who loves us without limit, who knows what is best for us, then we will cry out to him day and night, believing that when he answers, it will come right when we need it, and the answer will be just what we need. So I want to say this as we close, and I'm going to call the worship team up because I forgot to put it in my notes. So, <laughs> sorry guys. Um, persistent prayer is a mysterious thing. But those who pray with regularity will affirm that persistent prayer is spiritually formative and it does indeed shape us and I do believe it does indeed change things. Prayer always changes things. But I want to give you some things that persistent prayer does for spiritual formation internally. Persistent prayer purifies our motives, makes us aware of our needs, distinguishes deep-seated desires from fleeting whims, makes us ready to receive God's answer. And so my only prayer for you today is that you would pray for the ability to persist in prayer. I think that's why Jesus tells this parable. He knows it's hard. He knows it's difficult to keep praying in the face of seeming silence or seeming uncaring. And he's saying, but your God is not an unjust judge. He's a good judge. He's a good father. He loves you. And so keep coming. Keep pleading. Don't give up. And so just pray for that determination to keep coming, to keep praying. And you can even be very honest in those prayers like the psalmists. But really, it's all about coming to your Father and saying, Father, I don't understand what you're doing. And I'm going to need your Holy Spirit speaking to me because I can't take this on my own. 
Let me pray over you as, as we close today. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of those who are feeling like maybe, maybe you don't care. Like maybe you're silent. And I pray that today by your Holy Spirit, you would encourage their hearts. I pray that you would remind them that you are good, that you are just, that you hear us, you respond to us. I pray that they would feel your presence today. And Lord, I pray for all those prayer requests that we have prayed where there's no answer yet. And Father, I ask that, that we would start to receive answers to those requests. My prayer today is for all those who've prayed tirelessly for, for years for certain things to come about. And Lord, I pray that, they would, that your hand and your power would begin to work and that we would receive all that you have promised us. Lord, I, I pray that we would not lose hope and not lose heart, but that we would remain people of the promise, knowing that you have promised good things to us and your promises always come to fulfillment. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together if you want to stand with us.